Is he on? Is he on? Come on. I've switched it on. Lovely. Um, my name's Dave. Um, I've been an elder at the Beacon, at, well, the, say the Beacon Church. It was the Beacon Church many years ago in Maidstone. It's now the Vine. Um, I've been there for, well, I think we've been there for about 12, no, maybe a little bit less, 11 years. Um, and I've been a, an elder there for about eight years now. Um, before that, I worked in the NHS. I worked in social services. And for about 15 years, I worked in probation, uh, working with people coming out of prison. Um, that was my background. And then, like I say, about eight, nine years ago, got called to a completely different, different world. And uh, that's where I am today. Although, actually, paths cross so many times. Um, I want to introduce Claire to you. Claire um, works with us at The Vine. She's fantastic. She has a real heart for church. She has a real heart for churches reaching into communities. Um, Claire's a, a graduate. Um, she graduated from Oxford University with a degree in theology. So she has uh, something to share with us, I think. Um, and I've heard Claire speak before. She's brilliant. She's really good. And I'm going to ask her to come and share with you a little bit um, about what she uh, wants to share. And then I'm going to come back and share the other bits. Have you got the... Over there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm so excited to be here. My boys were so excited to see the wonderful climbing wall. Do you ever get to go on it? <laughs> <laughs> Looks amazing. They, their eyes lit up. They're also excited about chips on the beach later as well. So it's a fab place to live. Really exciting. Um, when Dave spoke to me and said, would you like to do something about Church for a Broken World? My immediate reaction was, no. <laughs> I haven't got an I any idea what I can say to these people about that. I felt very anxious. Um, I thought, what, what can I say? I'm, I'm a bookworm. I read things in books more than I do anything else and help Dave out a little bit. But I thought, no, I'm going to give it a go and I'm going to hope that, that God can speak through me and help you guys and encourage you guys. Um, because my big question when faced with church for a broken world is, what on earth can I do? What can I do? Um, so that's what I said to the Lord. I said, what can I do? What can I say? What could I do about church for a broken world? And my first thought was um, to be transformed. So we've been looking at the book of James at church recently. Um, I hope you know it. But um, we looked recently about faith without works. And um, we heard someone talk to us about how we are not saved by our works, but that our works show the inner transformation in our lives. If you remember, it says in Romans about be being transformed. Our whole lives are a transformation started by Jesus um, and when we put our faith in him. So it says in James, it says, do not wish a person well and then ignore what they need. Church for a broken world doesn't ignore the needs of people, um, it doesn't ignore that they are hungry. It doesn't send them off saying, good for you, but you're still hungry. Um, and then James gives the example of Abraham and Rahab. Both of these individuals weren't saved by their good works, but their good works showed that they had trust in Jesus. Trust in, well, not G in the hope of Jesus in the future. Trust in the salvation that God could offer. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, that didn't save him, but the trust he had in God saved him. Rahab was willing to 
trust in God rather than in her own, own security. She was willing to trust these couple of soldiers from a foreign nation that they had the Lord God with them and that she was going to put her life on the line to, to follow what she felt God was going to say to them through them. So not the logic of man, not the plans that we lay up, but the hope in the Lord. So therefore, we should be being transformed, and out of our transformation will come the hope for our broken world. So we're called to be salt and light, aren't we? To be a city on a hill. So what are we showing? What do we have to do? What does that mean? Well, it means being transformed by Jesus and letting that show through us and what we do. That sort of salvation turns everything on his head. It's completely countercultural. It's completely different to what the world sees, and the broken world needs to see that something that is that different. So then I had another thought. I thought, what else do we have to be? Well, we're asked to be like Jesus, aren't we? So how did Jesus be church to the broken world? Well, he loved the individual, and he came alongside them. Ben and I, my husband, were talking about um, some of my family recently, and they are prone to being a bit posh. And um, one of the things they tend to do is think that they can swoop in and solve problems for people. They, they come from a background of people that do things to other people, and that's helpful, and that everyone should be grateful. But that's not how Jesus worked. On the one hand, he always said to us, the poor are with you always. And then on the other hand, he said he had come to save the poor. So what is it? Well, Jesus put the Father first, didn't he? And he taught his disciples to do the same. Judas had a little fit, didn't he, when people came wanting to spend the money that he had saved for, he thought should be spent on the poor on Jesus. But that was because Judas was operating on the world's agenda. He was trying to solve problems. But he has to put God first, and that was what Jesus taught, God first, and out of that transformation that we have seen comes our work towards the world. Our worship of God comes our commission to go and set people free in his name, not according to his agenda, not according to social action, but actually according to how Jesus is working in our lives. So how did Jesus do this? Well, he didn't come down, all-powerful, God-made man, and do things to people without their permission. He didn't come down like my family are prone to do and spend their money to try and save people. He healed people. He healed individuals. He didn't just get everyone in Galilee all gathered in a crowd together and say, right, I'm going to do this all at once so it saves me a bit of time. Be healed. No, he did it to individuals. He partnered with them. They weren't projects. They weren't goals. They were people. I was thinking about the woman who was hemorrhaging she was healed by just reaching out and touching Jesus. Now, if Jesus was on a project, if he was in a mission, he, was on a, he had a goal and a deadline and a box to tick, he might have just carried on, that was sorted out. Actually, he stopped and he said, I felt the power come out of me. Who was that? And he spoke to her and he explained to her what had happened. And he took away her fear because she was an individual whom, she, whom he loved, not a project. Have you ever come across anyone that you hold in really high regard, someone that you think is almost famous, and you think, they're too busy, they're too important to talk to me? Jesus wasn't like that. He was very busy. He was pretty important, but he was never too busy or too important to talk to the individuals. So how do we be church of the broken world? Well, we're transformed, and we're like Jesus. We talk to people as individuals. 
And also, we're like it all the time. I was reading online the other day, I tend to have a look at some of these um, various Christian websites and blogs and things you can come across, and I heard about something that caught my eye because I liked the colour. Turquoise table movement in the States. It's based on Romans 12, verse 13, about showing hospitality. And this lady sounds a little bit like me. She's like, right, I have to be hospitable. How am I going to do this? And she was killing herself, cooking and making things and trying to be really hospitable and welcoming and kind and friendly and felt that it wasn't really getting anywhere. So she was having, just coincidentally, some garden furniture delivered. And the delivery guys refused to take it out back, so it ended up staying in her front yard, as they call it in the States, I understand. Um, so she just, on a whim, painted it a really, really bright colour, this turquoise colour, and happened to be praying at it. And by just being there, being her transformed self, sitting in her front yard, people started talking to her, people started meeting with her, people came alongside and joined in. And what she realised was that hospitality is not the same as entertaining. She'd been stuck in her kitchen cooking and cleaning and performing, when really sitting at her table in the front yard was what it was all about. So she says, wisely, hospitality is a way of life. And it's not about all that hard work and graft that we're prone to. And I'm prone to it as well. Ben, when we first got married, was like, right, open home, that's how his parents had lived. Anyone could just pitch up. And I was like, no, I need 24 hours notice to clean the toilet and do all this and make all this ready and we can't have people stay over because I can't possibly do that. The bed linen's not straight. That's not how it's meant to be, is it? It's meant to be, here I am, here you are, come and be with us and see the transformation that Jesus can do. Over the years... I've become somewhat a fan of monasticism. So by that I mean monks and nuns. Bear with me. Having four children, the idea of cloistering myself away and praying all day sounds just marvellous. Ben worries. He says, you can't become a nun, you're married. <laughs> the children And the boys did ask, Mummy, are you going to become a nun? I said, no, they won't let me. But there's something to learn from them. Now, it's really tempting to see them as people who've shut themselves away from the world. They've turned off, they've hidden themselves away. But actually, that's not how it is. They are a really helpful example for the broken world. There's a lady that's written a little bit about St. Benedict. You might have heard of him. He was um, one of the first nuns. There's lots of Benedictine monks and... Uh, sorry, he was one of the first monks. There are lots of Benedictine orders around the place, if you ever happen to come across them. And their very strong belief is in hospitality. And she says, similarly to our turquoise table lady, that if you have someone, for example, unexpectedly arrive for dinner, do you run round in a panic, putting your expectations on them and believing that their expectations are on you? No. You put Christ at the centre and you welcome everyone as if you were welcoming Christ. And St. Benedict even said, your way of acting should be different from the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. So your transformed life and your welcoming people like Jesus welcomed them and your welcoming people as if you are welcoming Christ should all be how you as an individual come across our broken world and start to work towards fixing it. But I can see, I've looked at your website, you're already, you're already doing all that stuff. It's, and, and it's amazing, it's amazing what you guys are already doing in this, this amazing place. 
And also, when Dave spoke to me, he said, you know, can you, can you say something about Church for a Broken World? I'm like, no, that's your bag. I can't do that. I don't know anything about it. But that is another thing that we can learn from our friends, the monks and the nuns. They realize that they're part of something bigger than themselves. Our world is very individualistic, isn't it? It's all social media and what you can make of yourself and how, how the world sees you and it's all kind of me, 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 me. And the church isn't like that, but we can get swept along in it. But actually, we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We are the body of Christ. And part of that is being your bit, your role in the body of Christ. So you might be a full-time worker, like my Ben is. He can't man the food bank because he's working, but he can tithe so that someone else can man the food bank. You might be that you can't, I can't play an instrument to save my life, but I can support Sue when she sings at our church and when she plays. Our part in the church of the broken world is playing our part that God gives us. God saves and we serve God. And that means that the commission that he gives us as a church, we have a role within it. And his commission is to, to come and bring peace and hope to the poor and the needy and the broken. But we're not individually responsible for saving those people. That's God's job. So, for example, Dave, and he's going to tell you a bit about this in a minute, he does all these things, amazing things, with the broken world. I'm just rocking up to my playground, picking the kids up in a nice middle-class playground, trying to be salt and light. But that's still part of my role, even though his role seems a bit more like it's what we're meant to do. Actually, those posh mums need a bit of help as well. They need to know Jesus just as much. So that's what I ended up thinking God was saying, that you're transformed by your saving faith in Jesus. And as a result, everything you do comes from that transformation. It flavours every decision you make. And your very self becomes that light on a hill because you are saved by Jesus and your whole, cha- whole life is changed. Your hope to a broken world because you love people just as Jesus did. Not as a project, not as a goal, not as a box to tick, but as his individuals, just like Jesus loved them. And that you are called to do what God called you to do, which is to be church in Herne Bay. And your role is not to save people, but to love them. And to see the world as Jesus saw it and go from there. God first, and then go and hope the broken, help the broken, just like Jesus did. Thanks, Claire. That's why I wanted her to come, to speak to you. Because actually... She does even more than I do, and I don't do much. I spend a lot of time with people. But that's exactly what Claire does. She spends a lot of time with people. And uh, if there was ever a time in our nation when our nation needed church, it's now. It really is now. Um, Steve and I, a number of other people, were up in London on Wednesday um, at the New Frontiers um, Prayer Day praying for this nation. And there was a particular um, scripture that Toppy um, brought to us, and it was a scripture that I had on my heart for you guys, and I I thought I'd share it with you, um, because it's really relevant. It's from 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, and it says this. 
If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. There's such a time as this. (laughs) I love it. That's a great ringtone. That's okay. I'll read it again to you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's my prayer. I love that. <laughs> technology. Do you know what? I've got one of these, um, I've got one of these fears of technology. But every time I, I get really confused with it, it's just too much for me. That's a really important scripture. That Isaiah scripture is really important for us. I think this is the time when the church needs to pray and it needs to seek God's face. What we don't need is to all get on a bandwagon because there's a temptation in church life to get on a bandwagon to try and be what other churches are or to try and think that there's something that we need to respond to because everyone else is. That's not what we really need. What we really need is to seek his face to hear his voice, to be obedient to him, to do what he asks us to do. And if that means setting up a project, doing something, then we have the courage and the boldness to do that. If it means that all we do is we go and spend time with people at the school gate, then that's what we do, because that's really important, that we do what he wants us to do. It isn't just about us getting on to something that we think, oh, that, 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 that church down the road, they're doing that. Maybe we should do that. We really mustn't do that. We must really hear God. And that's why I say prayer. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray particularly at this moment in time. The moves of God that we've seen across our nation over the centuries have led to amazing things. And we need a church that's on its knees that prays so that actually when we seek his face, he speaks to us. And he tells us what we need to do and how we need to respond in our generation. Of course, Jesus spoke, didn't he, about the broken world from Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's the same for us. We're called by his name. We're anointed by him to bring good news We have good news. We have amazing news. You're called, just as I'm called. And we've received that good news ourselves. If we know Jesus, if we love him, we've received the most amazing news that we will ever receive. We've received that gospel. And we've received his grace. We've been given a mission. And that one task is to go into all the world and make disciples. Not just to the bits we like, not just to the people that we get on with, but maybe sometimes people at work that maybe we don't quite see eye to eye with. Maybe our neighbours, maybe we find them difficult. You see, we're called where we're called. We are where we are, where God has placed us. That's where we're called to be. God has a heart for all people. He's a really good God. 
says this in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's our God. He's really patient, and he's patient with us. You know, you have a story, I have a story of how God reached into my life. We've all got a testimony. We've all got a story or experiences of God that he has taken us through in our lives. And we can draw on those, those amazing things that have happened to us to maybe share with others. doesn't mean we need to give them our entire life story. doesn't mean that we need to share the beginning to end, the whole thing, but just maybe a word in season, a word that actually brings some encouragement to somebody. Somebody tells you that they're really stressed and down. I can respond to that. I've been stressed, I've been down, but I've seen God work in the midst of it. And it's about being uh, in that place at that moment, hearing God, hearing what he says to you, and then maybe having the courage and the boldness to be able to speak, if that is what he asks you to do. It's not always just about speaking. Sometimes it's just about practical love, a demonstration of God's practical love to the broken world. God leads us. You know, when you are where you are, you are representing him. 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession and through us spreads a fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Wherever we are, we are that aroma. And we can be a sweet aroma. We can be a bad aroma. I think it's really good if we can be a sweet aroma. One of the things I love about Mike Betts is his very simple way of saying, actually, there's a new word that we need to understand, and that word is kindness. We need to show kindness to people in our world. Um, that's an often misused thing, because often people show different types of kindness. There's sometimes there's an agenda of self-promotion, but actually, that's not what Mike's talking about. He's talking about a sacrificial kindness that helps others, that looks out for others. So what does a church for a broken world really mean? What does a broken world look like? We can get used to saying the phrase, it can become jargon to us. We're a church for a broken world. It become part of our speak. But who is that broken world? When we talk about the broken world, who are we really talking about? The truth is that brokenness is pretty much all around us. And I don't know about your life, but my life um, was pretty broken. At times in my life, I can look at things that I've done or look at things that I didn't do or look at emotions and things that I've experienced where sometimes I've just felt the brokenness. And actually, it was God that reached into that brokenness when I was particularly broken and actually pulled me out from that and save my life. Literally, really. Brokenness is no respecter of social class. It's no respecter of whether you have lots of money 
or whether you have none. It's no respecter of whether you've had a really good education or whether you've had a poor education. It's no respecter of any of those things. Actually, some of the people that I know who are in the most high-powered jobs, CEOs of companies, are some of the most broken people I know. And why is that? Because they're so driven by one or two things. Sometimes at the expense of family, the expense of their kids. Brokenness doesn't equate to poverty all the time. It can do, but it's not an exclusive thing like that. You know, we have something to offer this broken world. We need to understand the world in which we're currently living. It is a world, as Claire described, of the kind of social media, the me, 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 the promotion of I, I did this, I want that. Um, it's that, that's the world we're living in at the moment. And the church needs to be counter-culture to that. In some of the work that I did in the past, I used to work in, um, in, a little bit in the home office, and some of the work that we did there was around looking at the poor, looking at how um, government could respond to poverty in this nation. And there was this mentality within some of the civil service, which was around the fact that there was this group of people who were the undeserving poor. It was their fault that they were in that position. They weren't making the right choices. And then this government kind of agenda that kind of pushed through policy and social policy, which meant that there was this creation of this kind of undeserving poor. Um, we can very much get into that if we're not careful. We can look at somebody's life and say, well, you, you've brought that on yourself. That's not what we need. The government's response recently was to set up what they called the Troubled Families Unit. I really didn't like the title particularly. What a label to give somebody that you're a troubled family. So do we reflect the society around us or do we do have something different to offer? Do we have something different to offer? We need to make sure that whatever we do, we do it well, that we do it consistently and that we're there for the long haul. The problem in the world is that a lot of things are set up that mean that they're very short term. They don't last very long because the money doesn't last very long. And then we get on to the next thing and we do the next thing. We don't want to be like that. We want to be a place of security, a place that's consistent, a place that gives love and kindness to people. We've all got levels of different levels of expertise. Some of us have had different experiences, but all of our experiences all count. I say to the to your church at the Vine, none of us are excluded from what God wants to do because he's an inclusive God. And as Claire said, we've all got a part to play in that. Sometimes we can have a lot of fears about going into the world. We can have a lot of fear about different types of people. I used to have real fears, and, uh, <laughs> and then I got a job in the probation service. And my first job was to run a bail hostel with 30 guys and just two of us on duty. 
And uh, you very quickly learn to know what fear is all about. Um, But God taught me so much about people through that experience. And we can get very fearful about groups of people in our society. But actually, people are still vulnerable. Some of the most vulnerable guys I met were in that hostel. Actually, they would give you all the bravado. And they'd come and stand two inches from your face and shout at you. But underneath it, they were so vulnerable. And they needed God's love. And they needed his kindness. He's our strength. And he's our guide. And I've never felt uh, that I could do some of these things in my own strength. I've always felt that I've needed him. And I certainly needed him when I worked there. We have something different to offer the world. There's a book that... um, Philip Yancey wrote, What's So Amazing About Grace. If you, if you haven't read it, it'll change your life if you read it. A bit like the Bible, it will change your life. But Philip Yancey writes this about grace. He says, Christians should work harder towards establishing colonies of the kingdom that point to our true home. All too often, the church holds up a mirror reflecting back the society around it rather than a window revealing a different way. If the world despises a notorious sinner, the church will love her. If the world cuts off aid to the poor and the suffering, the church will offer food and healing. If the world oppresses, the church will raise up the oppressed. If the world shames the social outcast, the church will proclaim God's reconciling love. If the world seeks profit and self-fulfillment, the church seeks sacrifice and service. If the world demands retribution, the church dispenses grace. If the world splinters into factions, the church joins together in unity. If the world destroys its enemies, the church loves them. That, at least, is the vision of the church in the New Testament a colony of heaven in a hostile world. When I, when I read that, I was sitting in a, on a balcony uh, overlooking the Nile in Egypt. And it was the first time I'd read that book. And I read that, and I, it so affected me. It so changed my perception of what church was all about, actually. Because that's the kind of church that I want to be part of. It just so spoke to me. And I I went to my New Testament and I read and I read what Paul said about grace and about love all over again. And that's the kind of church that God wants to build. And he is the builder of the church. He will build his church. He wants us to play our part. So what do we have? What has God placed into our hands? What has he helped us to understand? You know, God dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. I was really intrigued this morning, the picture that somebody brought this morning actually comes, or could come, from Isaiah 55. And I wrote the words to Isaiah 55 down in here. In fact, I'm just going to turn some. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. 
Come buy wine, milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labour for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. That's the kind of God we have who wants to work within us. He wants to help us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to give us strength. He wants to give us his plan. I want to play um, a little clip, if um, you can. It's from a, a guy called Matthew Burnett. He works in a church in Los Angeles. And uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about him after we've played the, the clip. Is that okay? So when we came to L.A. when I was 20, I just thought, you know, I came from a big church, my father, um, in Phoenix, Arizona. I thought, man, I'm going to come here. We're just going to build a big church in the middle of the city. And then when we got here, I think God said, okay, you can think you're going to do that, but let me get you here and show you really <laughs> what you're really going to be doing. And then God just spoke to our heart, and that is to build people first, then he would build the church. So we're home to about 273 different outreach ministries. It's a 24-hour campus. We have people all hours of the day. People that are coming off the streets that have drug addiction that will come in, maybe go through detox. The reality is some of these cases might take three years to rebuild a life, but we're patient. We don't put any timetable on them. Some might need four months to save rent and go back into life again. Great. Some might need a few years. You got some of the most notorious gangs that run right through here all the way down to South Central. You got hundreds of people out there every day serving. I mean, I can't even believe how different it was since 1996 in this place. It's been so transformed. It's been one of the high points in the whole city. In a day where churches are moving out into the suburbs, we did the opposite and moved back in. Staying in the community is the most important thing in building relationships and not going anywhere. Being the consistent force in people's lives because the gangs are consistent, the dealers are consistent, you know, and whoever stays longer in the community wins the battle for influence. At the end of the day, it's not about your potential, it's not about what you can do, it's about daring to believe in what God can do through you as you make a difference and set out to make a change. I read uh, Matthew Burnett's book. Um, he's written a book called The Church That Never Sleeps. And I love the title because that's so true. That's how we should be, the church that never sleeps. We need to be like that. But we don't all need to be like Matthew Burnett in the sense that we don't need to set up 273 different outreach ministries. That's what he's called to do in his city. That's what God spoke to him about. The thing that he says at, right at the end is so important. Can we dare to believe what God can do through us? You see, he went to that city, and if you read his book, he describes it really, really well. He went to that city thinking he had a plan. I'm going to establish a big church, because that's what my dad did. I'm going to build a big church. And that's not what God wanted him to do. In fact, he woke him up at two or three in the morning, I think, and he had to go down to this park, and he just saw desolation all around him. He saw people in, with drugs. He saw prostitution. He saw the whole thing. And God said to him, this is why I brought you here. This is what I want you to change. And he went, well, just me. 
And the whole story is really amazing. It's a story of him just hearing God and following after him and believing in what God said, even when it seemed that it was way out of his reach. The building that they occupy, which is the building that they showed you with all the multiple stories, that was a desolate building in Los Angeles. And uh, God showed him, when he went through the different parts of that building, what he was going to do in each part of that building. And he was just completely overwhelmed with it. But you see, he couldn't do it in his own strength. That was the beauty of it. He really couldn't. He needed to rely on God. He needed to hear his voice. And he needed to follow his plan and do what God asked him to do. Not what he thought he should do. I've worked in some difficult places with difficult people. Um, and as a church, we've, we've, we've done that as well. Um, we have connections. I have connections. Other people have connections um, in our community with different people. I've still got lots of connections in criminal justice. So a lot of our, my time is spent dealing with people who are coming out of prison. Um, some of the most difficult people. And sometimes their stories are so horrific that it's almost beyond belief. Um, we have one guy. He's not with us now. He's uh, another part of the country. But he'd been convicted of probably the most difficult crime that I will probably ever deal with. Um, the murder of a child. And that's so hard. It reaches into you. I've got kids. And it, it does something in you when you hear the story. Um, but the challenge was really was, was the police and the probation service coming to us and saying, we have nowhere to put this man and we need your help because we think you can help. And I went back and I spoke to Martin, one of the other leaders in our church, and I said to him, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And we both sat there and we both had the same thought at the same moment. And that thought was... Actually, not what are we going to do? Jesus, what would you do? And actually, that changed how we then dealt with him. It, didn't, it had to deal, deal with us as well, actually. He wanted to do something in us. See, it wasn't just about this guy. It was about us as well. It's about our heart. Because I could have a really hard heart. I'd come out of the probation service where I thought everybody lied all the time. And you can get a very hard heart and God wanted to do something in my own heart about that. And he used this guy, actually, to do some of that. Because I could have a very hard heart towards him. And, you know, we had three years of dealing with this guy. And I remember going to a, um, a multi-agency public protection meeting where the assistant um, chief constable for Kent said to us, you've given him three years of the most stable part of his life. And... Nobody else could have done that. I don't believe that's necessarily true, but I, I just know that we were in the right place at the right time doing what God asked us to do, even though we didn't understand it, even though we had all sorts of issues. I had all sorts of bitterness, all sorts of things that God wanted to deal with in my life. And actually, he did that through this guy. I remember going to see a lifer in prison. And uh, again, similar kind of story, really. Um, reading the, the kind of case papers, going through the CPS documents, the Crown Prosecution documents, before I went to see him, and having such a hard heart towards him. 
and I go into the prison. He's been in prison for 15 years. And the first thing he says to me, ah, oh, so good to meet you. I'm really looking forward to, to coming, coming out. You know, I've changed so much since I've been in prison. And I said to him, how's that? He said, I found Jesus. That was one of the first things he said to me. And I'd got such a hard heart towards him. And God said to me afterwards, you know I love him. What do you do? Do you have that hard heart or do you go with what God is doing? It's really difficult. Sometimes people surprise us. People are unique. People need individual care. And that's what Claire was describing. That's what Jesus did. That's what he's, in tra- he's, he's in kind of challenging us to think about. As Matthew Burnett said, it's about building people. It's not about destroying them. That's what the world does. We love to build people up and then we love to knock them down. God loves to see the person who's broken and build them up. And that's what he calls us to do. He wants us to be consistent in that. It does mean that we will get challenged along the way. Some of our preconceptions, some of the things that we think that we've sorted out suddenly become an unravel. I thought I'd sorted out my views towards people who committed offences because I'd worked with them such a long time and then I meet this guy and the whole thing changes. Why? Because God wants to transform my life as much as he wants to transform his It's not about your potential. It's not about what your gifting is. It's about daring to believe what God can do in your life. We're not all called to be the same. But we are all called to the same mission. And we're called by the person with the same name. And that's Jesus. We need to recognise that we're thirsty. Actually. I haven't got all my life all sorted out. I'd love to think I had. I might have this wonderful title of church elder, church trustee. But I haven't got my life all sorted out. God is still transforming me. 